0: Okay, good evening. Thank you for coming. We are ready to begin round nine of You Versus Yourself. We're in the midst of the exploration of the soul. Exploring the, as we're discussing, that a human being is a composite of two souls. And uh, we're getting a little more detailed and specific about the nature of the two souls. And particularly, we're beginning with the soul of light, the godly soul. And we learned already in the past few classes about it's the nature of the godly soul, the inner inner structure of the godly soul, that the godly soul is made up of 10 powers that make up its inner personality. Basically, it's broken into emotion, an intellect um, seven emotional powers three intellectual powers last week we introduced the more outer aspect of the nishama the behavioral part of the soul which is the what we call the garments of the soul the lavuche hanefish the garments of the soul and the garments are the power of the powers of expression Thought, speech, and action. These are means of expression. Thought, speech, and action don't have any inherent, intrinsic content. The content of the thought is what the thought is expressing. The content of of speech is what it's expressing. And the same is with action. In thought, we express our feelings and our ideas, our comprehension, our understanding, our wisdom, to ourselves. We become aware of it, we know of what we feel, we know of what we understand through our thoughts. Meaning there are so many things that you know, and so many feelings that you have, that we all have, that at this present moment you're not aware of. Because it's not within, it's not on the screen. It's in the greater database, but it's not in the screen. In order for something to be, you should be aware of it, it has to come onto the screen, and the screen is thought. That's where your consciousness is playing itself out on that screen of thought. Now, it's very important that we differentiate between intellect and thought, because sometimes I get a little confused. I mean, what do you mean? Thought is the intellect, no? Isn't the same thing? Not that way. Intellect is the power of understanding, and thought is words. Now, true, you can't have any intellectual experience without thought. Every, every experience of the mind must come enveloped in thoughts. Thoughts are intrinsic and they're, they're to, to every expression of, of, the, of, the, of the intellect. Any idea emerges in our mind through thoughts. But, however, we do have to differentiate and they're not the same thing because you could separate them. For instance, for example, you can take thought without intellect. You can think silly thoughts. Even if your intellect does not agree with it, explicitly is in, is in conflict with it. For instance, anybody sitting in this room could at this very moment think this thought. Two plus two equals five. You can think that thought. But you can't understand that, that two plus two is five, because two plus two is four. But if you choose to think it, you can think it. So you see that the thought is separate from the intellect. The idea, there is the idea. This is how I understand. And how I understand is a much deeper inner state of being. And the thought is just, it's garments, it's clothing. And just like a person can put on garments that suit who they are and what they are, and a person can put on ridiculous garments, you can put on silly garments, you can put on clown garments. So, same too, you can think silly thoughts. But the thought is not you, it's a means of expression. So, in thought, we express ourselves to ourselves. In speech, we express ourselves to others, to other human beings, family, friends, acquaintances, and whoever we're talking to. We're, conve- we're conveying the idea. However, in speech, we're conveying ideas to people like ourselves, other human beings. An action is where we express our ideas and our feelings, and we imprint them onto the physical environment in which we are, either by writing ideas. We're writing it. So it's not just we're, not commu- we're communicating a concept. We're communicating a feeling to a piece of paper, or through artwork, or through carpentry, or through sculpturing, or through any kind of act and activity that you're doing. You're taking your ideas, your philosophies, your things that you're excited about, and you're projecting it into the, you're etching it into the physical the physical uh, environment in which we're in. Okay, so these are th- three, and we, we, last week we had a long, elaborate discussion. The share is online, if anybody think it's an important class to listen to, to get clarity in this idea, because this is going to be very important in the further classes. To understand the difference between the essential powers of the soul which make up our true personality and the garments which are external things which are external to us. We're always we always use these garments, but yet they're external. It's important to understand that. We're not going to elaborate on that today because we discussed it last week. Now, being that we're talking about our godly soul, so our godly soul, each soul rather, has its own set of garments. They both use the same type of garment. They both express themselves in thought, speech, and action. But the the, the type of thoughts that come from the godly soul are very different than the type of thoughts that come from the animal soul. And the same is also the type of speech, which is going to be generated or conversations generated by the godly soul are quite different than the... um, the conversations that are generated by the animal soul, and the same is action. So the godly soul has a power of thinking, a power to speech, and a power to speak, and a power to act, but all these powers are powers that are conveyed, that are all going to be or expressions of holiness. Because the godly soul isn't capable of anything else but holy. It's reality, its only reality is the holy Because to it, the only real, real, real reality is Hashem. That's what the godly soul is obsessed with. It knows God. It's not interested in knowing anything else. It's only interested in knowing God and anything that is godly related. And all of its emotion, all of its feeling, all of its love, all of its passion, all of its fear, all of its uh, um, perseverance and the other powers that are in the soul, they're all directed towards God. So obviously, if the soul is a being, which is, it's, it's, which is completely and thoroughly connected to God, so therefore all the expressions that it's going to emit, that it's going to express, are going to be godly. So what kind of thought is going to be coming from the godly soul? It's going to be, since the, since the godly soul is, is, uh, is interested in, in God, so what are the thoughts that it's going to think? It's going to explore Hashem. So if you're stopping in the middle of suddenly and you're, you're pondering godliness, you're thinking about the creator of the universe, how awesome he is, how great he is, how endless he is, how infinite, how omnipotent and powerful and eternal. Or you're thinking about your relationship, how kind he is to you, all of his benevolence and all his kindness that he has done for us. So if you're thinking those thoughts, you can guess who is generating the thought. It's not the animal soul within you. The animal soul probably went to take a nap. It's your godly soul that is now generating this flow of thoughts. Then if a person is, and if you're motivated to take those thoughts and to share it with other people, you're excited about it, and you speak to others about Hashem, and the wonders in the universe, the miracles that God does, the divine providence that happens in your life, where you see godliness and you share it with your friends and families and the like, and people, so you're speaking, who is generating this conversation? It's the godly soul that is, now these are the garment of the neshama, of the godly soul, garment of speech. Then, if you take it into the next stage, which means you're also acting upon it, you're doing things to promote this, to to share this. We said earlier, if you're writing it down, or you're writing poems, or whatever it is that you're doing to express your feelings towards God, or well, like Avraham Avinu, who loved God very much, he went around promoting, advertising God all over the world. It wasn't just speech. He spoke to people, but he also did. He built a most magnificent hotel, and he did acts of charity and kindness. But it was all with a deeper intention. Besides him being a kind people, a person who cared about people, he wanted to bring God to the world because he loved God so much. So he wanted people to know of. He loved people and he loved Hashem and he wanted to connect the two. So that's why he did it. So these were activities, this is actions. All the action that he did, like when, he, uh, when Avram ran after the cow in order to, to do a and then his intention was to teach these people about God. So this was an action generated by his godly soul. And so that's in our life, all the activities that we're doing in pursuit of godliness is all... These are actions that are that are. This is the. These are the the mice of the the power of action that's, that's stemming from our neshama, from our godly soul. Now, aside from this, or in addition to this, there is a whole other realm of thought, speech, and action that belongs to our neshama. and that is all thought, speech, and action that is Torah related and mitzvah related, Torah and mitzvahs. The manner in which we embrace the Torah, the manner in which we interact with the Torah, is in thought, speech, and action. Because all when you say observing the Torah, what does it mean to observe the Torah? It means to study it, right? And it means to do the mitzvahs. So studying Torah and doing mitzvahs, you perform in the garment realm of your soul. Because to study Torah means what? To think Torah. You open up a book, you read the words, you allow the words to enter into your mind, these thoughts, these creating thoughts. So you're thinking Torah. So that's, that's Torah as it relates, that's a Torah and mitzvahs as it relates to the realm of thought. Then there is the aspect of Torah and mitzvahs that relate to speech. Because the first element, primarily, it's the mitzvah to speak Torah, not just to think Torah. When we want when a person studies Torah, it's a mitzvah to verbalize it. Of course, to teach others, but aside from teaching others, even if you're learning yourself, it's a mitzvah to articulate the words with your mouth. Vidibartabam, speak in them. So that's so that speech, those thoughts and those speech, this too is the garment of the godly soul generated by the Nisham. It's machshava. Who caused this thought? So even if it's not thinking, if you're not meditating on God you're meditating or you're studying a concept in halacha in the laws of Shabbos, in the laws of prayer you're learning the laws of Purim or whatever it is or you're learning Chumish Parsha this week, Parsha Tetzaveh or you're coming to learn a class and hearing a class on, on something of Torah so these thoughts that you're thinking is generated by the godly, by the godly soul and the speech in Torah speech or other mitzvahs related to speech, like saying blessings and prayer and all that. This is all holy speech coming from the nisham. And then, of course, there's the act of mitzvahs. Most of the observance of mitzvahs is in the realm of action, like all the do's and the don'ts of the the, the mitzvahs, right? So like putting on tefillin and wearing tzitzis and uh, uh, giving tzedakah and uh, visiting the sick and honoring your parents. You do these things by doing actions, activity. This holy activity is generated by the holy soul, by the godly soul. So all the observance of Torah Mitzvah is really directed towards the garment of the person. Thought, speech, and action of Torah Mitzvah, the garments of the soul. Now, when we speak of garments, we mentioned last week, garments on the one hand are not you, they're separated from the person themselves, but on the other hand, you enclose yourself in your garments. The garments envelop the person. And when a person is fully dressed, then they're covered in their garments from head to toe. So the same is also psychological garments, the garments of the soul. Through thought, speech, and action of Torah and mitzvahs, we have the opportunity to fully clothe our soul from the head of the soul to the bottom of the soul, to the feet of the soul. Completely. Because, let's... And just like, a physical, just like the physical body has different kinds of garments that are suited to the different parts of the body. On your head, you wear one kind of garment. And then in the other part of your body, in your torso and your feet, different kind of garments, whether it's shoes or a jacket or a shirt or, or a hat, different parts. So too, there are three types of garments. There's thought, speech, and action, which are fitting to different parts of the soul. It is a garment that fits another part of the soul. Thought is primarily a garment directed to the head of the soul, which is the intellect of the soul. The power of your intelligence garbs itself in which garment? In the garment of thought. Because when you're thinking and you're studying Torah, it's not just, let's understand something, it's not just a thought that you're thinking, but your intellect is invested in that thought because you're understanding an idea, so the idea is now. So there, there is the thought, the words, and your comprehension of it, which means your mind is invested. It's dressed in that thought. It doesn't necessarily always mean that way. As mentioned earlier, there can be a, a, a separation between your thought. So you can be thinking thoughts that you don't understand. So, for instance, just to illustrate, I grab the safer, the writings of the Arizona. Okay, if I open this up right now and I read a little passage over here. Let's read this. Okay, here are these words. I'm going to just translate. Orerim, and then they are aroused the parts of tamim of uh, tamim which means reason of points tagin uh, are are crowns osios and letters, the of the name of 45 in the name of fifty-two, the pnimius Adam Kadmon from the innermost of the supernal of the primordial man, vaolem and they go up in helke with the parts of nukudos tamim tagin and osios points and 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 tagin and and, and crowns and osios of letters the ayin bays vesamach gimel the of the name of seventy-two and the name of sixty-three of the innermost leman for them to become feminine waters letamim to the tastes the ayin bays of ayin bays vesamach gimel the and then they're unified and they bring out from the forehead right, good so you all heard, right good, so what is that you heard words, There was words but there was no, your mind even though you heard words but it's only words, it's a thought but there's no investure of your mind Okay, because you don't know what in the world he's saying I don't either know what in the world he's saying now, if we well, perhaps listen to this, we're learning Torah this week. This week in the Torah, it says that um, it's a mitzvah that they should take pure olive oil. Take pure olive oil. What does pure olive oil mean? So Rashi says, you know what, pure olive how you get pure olive oil? First thing is you have to go to a top of an olive tree and get the olives that are on the top of the tree. Why? Because they're exposed to the sunlight. And therefore, they ripen and they get juicier. So you're going to get an olive that is saturated with a, lot of, with a lot of oil. So when you squeeze it, it's going to be pure. But that's not enough. In order for it to really be pure, which means without any sediments, it's only kosher the first squeeze. The first squeeze will produce the oil that is completely oily. However, if you're going to crush it more, you're going to begin already to get the second squeeze. It's going to give out already a lesser oil that is not as pure with some sediments. Right? Simple concept. So why does over here, over here already, you had a thought, as we all because we on this, we have the thought, but not only the thought, but there is the intellect is in the thought. Because you understood the Torah is saying Zach, Rashi explained it to us. Now I understand what that means. So there is thought and there is intellect. And the intellect is invested in that thought. Because while I was saying that thought, hopefully you were thinking that thought, not other thoughts. Okay? So which means that your thought was now enclothed, the power of intellect, the power of conceiving ideas, was enclosed in this particular thought. Now, when a person spends his time studying Torah always, we're always studying Torah, then they're enveloping their intellect in the garment of the Torah, in the garment of thought, all the time. Their entire mind is invested, especially if they don't use their mind for anything else. Just remember, recall the story a beautiful story, that uh, there was a shil- There was a, a question that arose, uh, I think sometime in the 60s or in the 70s, about some kind of very, very complicated element, I'm not sure in regards to what. And the halachic authorities were having a very, very difficult time with it. And uh Moshe Feinstein, who was one of the great, great, uh, the greatest of the poskim, the halachic, uh, the decision makers in the last century, um, gave his psaq halacha in regards to it. And there were many rabbis who disagreed, or they didn't, they weren't happy with it, especially in the uh, in the uh, Hasidish world, or in the. And um, uh, I know that there were satma rabbis who were having a very hard time with it. They didn't accept it, so they came to the old satma Rebbe. And they said to him that they want to send a delegation to meet with Ramoesha Feinstein and discuss this, this, uh, this thing. So he told them first, I don't think you should go because in order to go, you have to know how to learn. Because you have to know how to learn. He basically was telling his own rabbis, he says that you guys don't know match for him at all. So he just you go. But then finally, he gave them permission to go. And when they came to him and they started arguing, he turned to them and he said, he said as follows. He says, I want you to know he says, I, from, from all my life, never thought any other thoughts besides Torah. I didn't learn, I didn't read any other um, writings aside from Torah. This brain thinks Torah, that's all it does. Now, if you want to argue with me, he said, if there's anybody else over here can testify that his mind was purely dedicated to Torah and that's it that that was all the intake that he's taken then we can argue um, so the idea being it was relating it to today if a person thinks only thoughts of Torah then his mind is enveloped in the garment of Torah and exclusively in the Torah all the time we on our on our end try as much as we can with all the, whenever we have time, we ought to study and learn and clothe our neshama with this holy garment of Torah, the garment of the Torah. Now, how, how, how everybody does it is different, because everybody's capacity is different. Some people are very, very intellectual, intellectually prone, and they have more of a, more of a knack for study and for learning. And uh, so their capacity and ability to study have a greater capacity in learning Others have a harder time to study and uh, understand That's one difference between people and how much one will understand But which means and therefore that will mean how much they're able to enclose their soul and the brain of their neshama in the garment of the Torah But also there's also different parts of the Torah There is the Torah as what we call the Pshat of the Torah, the Torah on a simple level. Then there is the Torah, the Drush, on a homiletical level, the Remez, and then there is Sod, which are the secrets and the esoteric element of the Torah. When we say we can garb our mind in the Torah, in the thoughts of Torah, it's different elements of the Torah, different parts of the Torah. And it's accordance to a person's brain capacity, but it's also in accordance to a person's soul root, a person's neshama. It's not only a power, it's not only an aspect of being smart, of being bright. Um, because Torah is divine, it's godly. So in order to connect to the concepts of Torah, there is a mysterious element to it. There is a godly element. And only if, as an neshama, as a soul, when a soul, being the, Jew, the Jewish people are connected, our souls are, are rooted in the Torah, so we all have a different a different place in the Torah where we are, where the neshama is etched, where the neshama is set. So our capacity for understanding is different. That's why we find that there are people who are very, very, very bright, very sharp, but they only, but, and their interest in the Torah is, is in the halacha aspect of Torah. And over there they can argue and learn and study for, and very, be very involved and come up with the most novel, brilliant ideas. But if you present them something a little bit more abstract, something mystical, they don't get it, don't relate to it, it doesn't interest them. And why is that? It's because their soul is rooted on a more, in the more uh, uh, shot element of Torah, not necessarily in the sod element of Torah. Then there are people that have a very great knack for the mystical, for the abstract, and they don't have an appreciation, don't have an enjoyment, don't have it, and even have a hard time understanding when it comes to elements of halacha and things that are more, they do what they have to do, according to the Torah, but they don't have that excitement and that depth of understanding because their souls are rooted in another part of the Torah. We know that in ancient tzfas, there was, and this is about four, four to five hundred years ago, that was the heyday of tzfas. Where the great tzaddikim lived, There was the dream team. Lived at the same time, all. Oh, it's amazing who lived in Tzfas. The chief rabbi of Tzfas at those days was the base Yosef, Rabbi Yosef Cairo, the author of the Shulchan Aruch. Okay, so he's the rabbi of all rabbis for all days. He was the rabbi of Tzfas of the of the. Then there was the um, the kabbalist, or the which was Rabbi Yitzhak Luria, the kabbalist of all kabbalists. He was so he was like the rebbe of 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 the of the group. So you had the Rav of the group and you had the Rebbe of the group. Then you had the the orator, the, the Magid, who was at that time the one who would give the, the drushes and the speeches. He was Ramosha Al He was the darshan of old Darshanim. An exquisite, unbelievable speaker and unbelievable depth in the way what what he what he taught. So this was Rebbe. Yeah, yeah, it was also, they were all Kabbalists, Even the, the Rabbi Yosef was also, but the Al was, but his thing was he was the he was the darshan. And then you had the Chazan in the in the shul was Reb Shlaima al the poet of poets. And the Chazan, he was the one who, who authored, who made the Lakhadodi. He composed Lachadodi that were and many other amazing poetry. And he was the chazin, and then even the shamis, in the, in the, the one who was the caretaker of the shul, was a hidden Sadiq who later was revealed as the charedim, And there were many others of these unbelievable giants there at the same time. The Beis Yosef, Yermush was first, before the Arizal, yeah. Now, when the Arizal would give his, his students, when he would give his class, the rabbi Yosef Kaira, the the rabbi, wanted to attend the classes. And he came once or twice, or a few times, and every single time the Arizal would teach, the Beisiel Yosef would fall asleep. And he couldn't keep his eyes awake. He tried so hard. And he was used to studying 18 hours in a row without without interruption. And here he couldn't keep his eyes open. It bothered him very much. And he complained to the Arizal, says, what is it? And Arizal said because your Shoresha ha your root of the neshama is in the, is in the revealed part of the Torah, not in the esoteric. He was a Kabbalist, he learned with a Malach, but not that degree of the of the Arizal students. And that's why he was told, you know, you you learn what you need to learn, and uh, my students are going to be those who need to study with me. So we see that the acquisition of Torah and the ability of study is everybody accordance, in accordance, of course, to how hard they try, according to their sharpness of their mind, but also its relationship, the ability, the soul source, the Shoresh the, HaNeshama of this person. Okay. So that's the head garment. When we take our intellect and garb it, in the Torah we are wearing the garment, the garment of Machshava, to our... But then there is the garment for the body, which is the garment for the other part of the soul, which are the emotions. The emotions of the soul garb themselves in the garment of speech and in the garment of action not exclusively because the emotion of the soul also finds expression and garbs itself in in thought because when a person for example, what is the emotion of the soul? the emotions of the soul is the neshama loves God We, we love Hashem if we love Hashem So that emotion drives us to do the mitzvahs. That emotion drives us to to engage in in, in our relationship with God. How do we do mitzvahs? Part of it is to think Torah. So if a person is thinking Torah, Torah when they are excited to think Torah because they want to get close to God, and the way to get close to God is by studying God's Torah, so then their emotion, their feelings are invested in this thought. But over here, it's not only in the thought, it continues also primarily into speech, and also into, into action. Which means the drive with which we do mitzvahs, the drive, the, the, the power, the energy which drives us to speak Torah and say holy words, is are the emotions. And the reason for that is simply, I mean, the intellect is vested in thought when we study Torah is quite simple. Because you can't conceive any, any any concept of Torah unless you're using your intellect. But when it comes to it comes to the second investor, the investment of the emotions into the other parts of Yiddishkeit, into the into the mitzvah observance, here we needs a little bit clarification, because it isn't necessarily a must. It is possible for a person to learn to do mitzvahs without without emotion. It's possible to just do activity without without investing your heart, without investing your feelings. That's a possibility. But that's not called, that's not the intention of Hashem. When Hashem gave us Torah and mitzvahs, He didn't just want actions, He didn't just want speech, He wanted the human being to be fully invested into those activities and into those actions. And how is the person fully invested into the activity of Torah and mitzvahs? That's when your mitzvah observance is growing out of your relationship with the God. You want to further, you want to intensify your relationship, therefore, you're doing the mitzvahs. And then, two things. First of all, the mitzvah is done with more energy. The mitzvah is done with greater perfection. That's number one. And also... The emotion themselves, it's not only that the emotion generates the mitzvah, but that the emotion is vested in the mitzvah. That means the person is inside the mitzvah that he is doing, as opposed to just doing something. As we know, for instance, let's understand in in, in, in a relationship, if you love someone very, very much, and you care about them, so you want to draw close to that person, You want to explore their world. You want to know what they're all about. You want to know their passions, their interests, because you love that person. So that's what we can compare in our relationship with God. We're studying Torah because we want to know what God is all about. What's God's interests? What does He delight? What does He think? What are His thoughts? We enter into God's mind when we are studying God's Torah. We also, when you love someone very much, you want to make them happy. You want to give them something that they like, you want to bring them joy, you want to bring them happiness, you want to bring them satisfaction. So you want to do something that you know they care for. And that is the idea of doing what? That's the idea of mitzvahs, how the emotion generates the mitzvah. But it's not only that the emotion generates the mitzvah, the emotion is inside the mitzvah. What do we mean by that? It's when you're doing, when 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 if you if you, you love your spouse and you want to give it's your it's your wife's birthday it's your husband's birthday and you want to buy them a, a, a present a birthday present so if you're feeling the love and you so then when you're going up let's say you have to buy the you're going to buy a piece of jewelry and the jewel, and and the, and the jeweler is on the second or third floor. So you're going to get the jewelry, and not just going up the stairs. If you're excited, you're running two two, two steps at a time. Why two steps at a time? Because there is vitality, there is is life in that action, because you're excited about your doing. Your feet are alive. As it says, his feet was pumping with life. When you're excited about someone, so the action that you're doing is not a dry action, the emotion is in the activity itself. If you want to surprise your child and make a surprise birthday party for them, and you're kind of late and you're running, so you're running quickly to the market, and then when you're putting up the streamers or whatever you're doing in your house, you're doing it with life, with energy. Why? Because the emotion is in it. The emotion is in, the action is infused with the love, with the care with your, with, your, with your affection for your child. So in our relationship with God, too, a person can do mitzvahs, you can do mitzvahs just dry, without energy, without life to them. That's not the intention of the way God intended us to do mitzvahs. What God wanted us in the performance of the mitzvahs is that he wanted that we should do them fully and be completely there in the performance of the mitzvah. The only way we're there in the performance of the mitzvah is if we feel God and we feel the connection that we're having tashem in the performance of the mitzvah. Now, just to get clear on this subject, so let's understand something like this. Mitzvah observance can take place on many, many levels. One way of doing mitzvahs, let's just go through various different types of mitzvah observance that we see around us, or maybe we can identify with one of these. The most external and super or outer way where a person can do a mitzvah is when they're doing it just because they were trained to do so from their youth. When you were a child, your parent trained you, These are this is what you do, this is what you don't do. You avoid doing the bad stuff and you do the good stuff. And on Pesach, you eat matzah. And on Rosh Hashanah, you go hear the shofar. And not going to shul to hear the shofar is unheard of. You just you don't do that. You have to do it. That's it. And the same is also every day you put on tefillin, and you daven, and you do it. Okay, That kind of and people are people who live their entire life. And that's the degree of their observance. It's all mechanical. It's all out of habit. This is what I taught. This is what I do because this is what my father taught me. That's nice. But it's very, very external, very outside. Sadly, a very, very great. Um, we find a lot of our of our brethren, a lot of them, ourselves, many times as well, where we're just doing things by rote. We're just doing things because this has been been trained, and that is because maybe the school systems are failing in the not giving an inner an inner identification, an inner understanding. panemius into Yiddishkeit where everything is just do this and don't do that, that can be part of the problem. I think a big part of the problem is God. God's fault. He left us in exile a little bit too long. We're here already for over 2,000 years. How does he expect the relationship to thrive if he's hiding for such a long time? We haven't seen or heard from him. It's very difficult. So we can put most of the blame on Hashem, but we have to try as much as we can to get as much as we can into the relationship. So that's one type of observance. There you have thought, speech, and action, but it's only thought, speech, and action. There isn't, there isn't the inner human being is not there. The passion, the fervor, the excitement is lacking. Then there is stage number two, a second kind of observance. You can do mitzvahs, and you're doing it passionately. You're doing it with life. But the life that's there is not exactly the best reason. And you're doing it because you want to impress others. You want others to think of you as a, you're a pious person, you're a good person, you're a you're 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 a special guy, or you're a special, and that's why you're doing it. You come to shul. You want everybody to notice how much you're shuckling and how strong you're davening, and the like. Okay, that kind of an observance of mitzvahs has energy, but the energy is not coming from the godly soul. The energy is coming from the ego. It's coming from the animal soul. The animal soul has gotten itself entangled into the godly, into the godly soul, and it's. And in some way, it's good, it's good because you're still doing mitzvahs. Instead of doing sin, you're doing the right things. But it's doing the right things for the wrong reasons. So there is an energy there. Now, of course, that mitzvah is still valuable. The mitzvah is still precious. The reason why it's still precious and still valuable is because the real instigator of the observance of the mitzvah is really your nisham. Because sub subconsciously, while you're really really doing it, you might not be aware of it, is what you're really really doing is because you want to you do the right thing, you want to do a mitzvah. But at least on a conscious level, that's not what the person is feeling. So again, again, there is such a kind of an observance of Torah and mitzvahs, but that we can't call that true observance, because it's not the way the mitzvahs were meant to be observed when you're doing it to impress your neighbors. Now there's a third observance of mitzvahs. You're doing the mitzvahs because you want to be on God's good side. And why do you want to be on God's good side? Because you want God to treat you nicely and fairly And give you a lot of goodies and good stuff So you want Hashem to take care of you You want to, you want to have a good life You want to have a good marriage You want to have healthy children And you want to have Parnassah and livelihood And you know, it's a good thing At least the person is aware that Hashem is in control of his life So if I will be good to God And I will do what my obligations to Him Then Hashem will keep His promise to me And He will take care of me That's already, so here there's already a certain feeling of I'm doing these things because I'm doing them for Hashem. But my interest in my doing is not really about God, it's about myself. But instead of pleasing my boss, I have to please my true boss. And who's the real boss? That's Hashem. But then I'm not really intending the mitzvah, I don't really care about the mitzvah. I just want to keep God happy with me, and that's why I'm doing the the mitzvahs. Again, that's for a considered ulterior motive. Because you're not interested in the mitzvah You're interested in what is going to come out of the mitzvah And this itself has many levels A second level of that Is someone is a little deeper than that It's not like I'm going to do a lot of mitzvahs And God I hope one day you'll give me the means to buy a house A nice house Or a nice car That's, that's, that's again very, very external Very, 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 very The person is very self-absorbed And in an immature way In his performance of mitzvahs a little bit higher and a little bit deeper is, I cherish the value of the mitzvahs themselves for what they do for me. Which means the mitzvahs themselves, I mean, after all, this is God's plan for life. This is the idea which you hear many times people say, God has given us a manual for life. And it's true. The best way for your body to work, the best way for you to live a psychological and, and, and spiritual, a healthy life, to live a good life, Follow the ways of the Torah, follow the ways of the mitzvahs, and you're going to live a much better life. Keeping the laws of family purity is going to enhance your marriage. Keeping the laws of Kastros is healthy for the person. And, there, and keeping Shabbos is good. It's very good for your mind. It's very good for your sanity. It will, introduce, it will bring tranquility and calmness. It will release, remove so much stress and anxiety keeping Shabbos. So even though, for instance, a person might be in a situation where it's Shabbos, and I, have, and, I, and I really, really need to finish my work, I have a deadline to make, and I need to finish, and I have a whole afternoon now, I can get into the computer and finish doing that which I need to do. But nevertheless, you refrain from doing that because you know that God knows better, and maybe now I'll do, I'll do this work, but overall, if I keep Shabbos, it'll be far more, it's better for my state of mind In in, in the long run, maybe in the short run, I might think I'll get more by doing this, but in the long run, I know that this is a better way of life. So over here, it's not like I am doing this, so you will give me that. The thing itself is something that gives gives me a satisfaction. So that's another way of doing mitzvahs, another attitude. And then there is even a higher attitude, but it's all still considered ulterior motive. And that is, I'm doing the mitzvahs because I want olam haba. I want to get a bigger portion of Ulam Abba. So for some people, we were taught when we were little children, Olamaba is a phenomenal place. It's a good place. It's wonderful. Not that I understand what it is. No one ever taught me what it is. But I know it's a very good place. And it's worth it to, go, to, to give up on certain pleasures and certain comfortabilities in this world so that we will have a greater piece of the pie, a greater pleasure in the world to come. So I am doing a mitzvah as a means of scoring points or accumulating tickets for this great day. I will have a bigger part of Olam Haba. So we're here already dealing already with some element of the spiritual. The person understands that the spiritual realm is greater than the physical realm. But again, the performance of the mitzvahs is self-oriented. I want to get that. And that is also not the real way of doing mitzvahs. The Tanya comes and introduces to us. It's really not the Tanya. The Rambam says the real mature way of doing mitzvahs, the right way, the way it was intended to from the beginning, is that we should do the mitzvahs because it's true. The Rambam uses the words, You do this because this is right, because this is truth. A little Hasidic hasidic, um, spice to that is, I am doing it because through the performance of the mitzvah, I get close to God. I am forging a relationship with Him. I am bonding with Him. This is the manner in which I connect. Not, I when connecting in olam haba, I will get reward then. Right now, I am doing Hashem's mitzvah, and I am connecting to Him. He is truth, He is reality, and I want to connect to the real thing. And that's why I am doing the mitzvahs and a deeper experience of this is when, the, when it's not just an intellectual awareness, but it's an emotional feeling. As a result of a person doing a thorough contemplation that we spoke about two weeks ago, three weeks ago, <laughs> in the class when we spoke about the meditations of the soul, of how to meditate on, on, on how tiny the physical world is, and how great uh, the Hashem, how Hashem fills all the universe, and He encompasses the world, and the infinite light, and all. Suddenly the person is experiencing a rapturing of love, a thirst, a yearning, a learning, a, a longing, a burning of their soul. They want to cleave, they want to attach themselves to Hashem. But you come up against a brick wall. You come up against a fence that you can't, that you can't a barrier, that you can't penetrate. And that is the, the essential separation that there is between a creator, between the creation and its creator. God is infinite, we are finite. And since we are finite and He is infinite, there isn't any way that we can truly connect ourselves to Him. Even if we want to. Even if we spend all day long loving Him. You see, in human interpersonal relationships, when we love someone, even if we're not doing anything about the love, if we are feeling intense love, admiration towards a certain person, we are connecting to them. That itself is causing a bonding between your soul and that other and the person in that you love them. With God, it doesn't work that way. A person can love God and feel very, very deep feelings towards Him, but yet not truthfully connecting. I'm not saying it's not a connection. You are much higher than all other human beings, but you're not truthfully connected to Hashem. And the reason for that is Because God is infinite, and why are you loving God? You're loving God because you you appreciate, you understand who He is, but you're not really appreciating Him. You're appreciating what your mind understands of Him. So imagine if someone appreciates your, I mean, it's a silly example, but your pinky on your toe, and that's all they know about you, about your pinky. And that's their admiration. I don't know, just a silly example, some nether external element of a person. They don't know anything else about you. They don't know your personality. But they're really, really loving you. That's not a true love, because you know. Are you impressed with that love? Do you feel connected? No, because the person has no idea who I am. Doesn't know of my talents, doesn't know my personality, doesn't know of my traits, doesn't know who I am. So it's not really a connection. We don't know anything of God. And if, and, and our love is a, is a is a coming from a human finite heart. It can't connect really to Hashem. There is an unbridgeable gap, an infinite separation between Hashem and the creation. So the Tanya makes a stunning statement over here. He says, if you want to cleave and you want to connect to God, there is no way, absolutely no way to connect to Hashem, No, there there isn't any other way aside from doing a mitzvah or studying Torah. When you're studying Torah and you're doing a mitzvah, that's when you're having a true, real connection to Him. Why? Because everything that is human-generated, everything else you're going to do is human-generated. So it can only be as powerful as the human being that generated it. We're finite, so it can only lift us up to a finite height. And when it's lifting us up To finite heights We're still infinitely separated From an infinite being Who who is at infinite heights The only one who can bridge An infinite distance Is an infinite being God is the only one Who can create that bridge And where does Hashem Create that bridge? In the performance of a mitzvah Hashem says Take that horn And on the first day Of the seventh month Blow the horn When you put your mouth to the horn, the shofar, and you blow, as you are entering the shofar from this side, God is entering the shofar from the other side. Meaning, there is the connection. As you're eating the matzah from here, Hashem is on the other side of the matzah. As you're reading the words of the Torah, as your mind is assimilating, taking these letters in, Hashem and all His infinite light is shining through these letters on the other side. You are because this is His will. And He says, do this and I will bond with you. Do this and I will connect to you. That's the true intention in performance of mitzvahs. I am doing it because I love God so much. I love God so much I don't even know what to do with myself. I'm crazy about Him. And how do I get close to Him? I have no other way but doing a mitzvah. So when you're doing mitzvahs that way, it's full of excitement. It's full of energy. It's full of passion. And then the emotion is there in the, in, the, in, in, in the mitzvah. And then it's called, that kind of a performance of a mitzvah is called mechaimon be'emes. I am doing it in a true manner. Any other kind of, of a performance of a mitzvah, even though you fulfilled your obligation, but we can't call it doing it truthfully. Why can't we call it doing it truthfully? For two reasons. Number one, Mitzvah observance, first of all, if, if you don't have the, the emotion and the excitement in the mitzvah, then you're probably not even going to do the mitzvah correctly. Because a mitzvah has so much details. We can do the mitzvah in a very general stroke, or we can do the mitzvah and really, really do it right. For example, something as simple as washing your hands before you eat bread. One of them is because I have to eat bread, and before I eat, I have no choice, I have to wash before I, before I eat my bread. So then you go chaplop, and you wash Washing your hands and doing it correctly is quite, it's an art to know how to pick it up and dry your hands completely. And then exactly, the sage just tells exactly how you're supposed to move your hand when you pour and the water should be poured in one big swoosh and catch every part of your hand in a second time. And you have to be careful where your, the manner how you hold your hands, the water shouldn't go out from over your wrist and then back. It's uh, it's a complicated thing of washing correctly. Now, if a person is washing because you just have no, because this is what you've been taught, or because of you, or any of the other reasons Then you're not really doing it To the fullest If you're If you're thinking about Asher That Hashem sanctifies with, with the mitzvah And at this moment I'm able to bond with, with him And I'm only bonding with him If I'm doing the mitzvah correctly If I'm doing it the way he wants me to do it Then you're meticulous With all the details With all the parts If someone loves Their they uh, if someone is buying a, going back to the spouse that is buying a present for their, the husband who's buying a present for his wife on their birthday. So there too it can be done because you feel obligated. Uh, you know, she's expecting it. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta buy her something. Because of her expectation. But you're not really into it. So what do you do? You have this company. And uh, you give them your credit card already You say, you know what, please You have my credit card, send something, make sure That the birthday comes, whatever, the, whatever it is just, just swipe my card and say What should I send you? Whatever, I don't know think, think something that you'll appreciate and send it So you can give a present that way Something comes, you don't even know what it is and, But if you really, really, really care for the person If you really love that person So then you spend time Call, you're looking, which one is she going to like better? Is it this one? Is it that one? Then you're thinking about the wrapper, how you're going to present it, how you're going to give it. You're doing it with fully paying attention to the details. The paying of attention of the details is when your heart is invested in it. And that's the first meaning of ha-makayimam be'emes. If you're doing the mitzvahs truthfully, if you're true, you're really doing it correctly, is when you are someone who loves God and he wants to cleave to him that's when you do the mitzvah in a perfect way in a meticulous manner that's number one number two the reason why a performance of the mitzvah is not called doing it truthfully if, if your heart isn't in it even if you are meticulous and you're doing it uh, 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 with all the details let's say you want to impress others of how firm you are and therefore you're doing it correctly but why that's not called Hamakaim emes Because you're not being true to what the mitzvah is. Meaning the mitzvah, everything has a content. Everything that is there has a reason for why it's there. And to be true to something means when you're using something for what it was made, inconsistent with its initial intention. So for example, you have an uncle who buys you for a present, bought you a computer. Okay? You can do a lot of things with a computer. So many, it can make life complicated, it can make life easy, but all kinds of things we can do with a computer, okay? Now, your uncle calls you three, three months later and wants to know how are you doing with your computer? Is it helping you in your work? You... So, you say, yeah, well, I've done. He says, what have you done? And you show him all the things that this computer has done for your life, how much it has enhanced and how much you've accomplished. He's very, very happy with the gift that he has given you. How about you have a computer? You have no idea what a computer is. You know what? When, when. You have a door in your house that is annoying because it, 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 it keeps on opening and shutting and slamming shut and it annoys you. But now you have a computer. So you take the computer and you put it by the door as being something that is going to stop the door from opening and closing. So when he asks you in three months later, he says, "Are you using the computer?" I say, "Yeah, I'm using the computer." How are you using the computer? Well, I'm, I'm doing, it. doing. I'm keeping the door open. Have you lied? You didn't. You use the computer, but did you, you do use it truthfully? Was that the intention for the computer? No, it's not its intention at all. It, it was intended for another kind of a usage. God gave us mitzvahs. When Hashem gave us mitzvahs, there is the truth the intention that he had the intention that God had in giving us mitzvahs is to give an opportunity to mortal human beings to connect to an infinite God to forge a relationship with Him that's why He gave us mitzvahs He didn't give you mitzvahs as a self-help thing He didn't give you mitzvahs to impress your neighbors He didn't give you mitzvahs to be another burden in your life He gave you mitzvahs because He wants a relationship with you He wants a relationship with us That's why he gave us mitzvahs. If that's the intention and when we're doing the mitzvahs, then we're doing them truthfully. We're being true to the mitzvah, to what the mitzvah is all about. This is the meaning that we garb our emotion in the performance of a mitzvah. Now, mitzvahs come in two forms. There are positive mitzvahs, and there is prohibitive mitzvahs. There are the 248. Positive commandments 365 negative commandments He says in the human soul There are two primary emotions The first emotion is the emotion of attraction The emotion of love, chesed And there is the emotion of contraction Which is the emotion of gevurah In the the performance of positive mitzvahs The main emotion that is driving the performance of the mitzvah Is the emotion of love seeking, desiring to draw close and connect to God and the emotion that generates uh, the performance of the prohibitive commandments is primarily the emotion of fear because it's the fear of Hashem that causes the person to refrain from doing that which is distasteful or undesirable in God's eyes now it's, it's not necessarily always the case A person can do a positive commandment out of fear of Hashem I'm afraid not to do his commandment And that's why I'm doing the positive commandment You can also refrain from doing something that Hashem doesn't like Because you love God and you don't want to upset Him out of love That's true But the more general force in the performance of the mitzvah The more dominant element in the positive commandments Ought to be our love for Hashem and that the more dominant element In the refraining from, from doing an Avera From doing that which Hashem Tells us not to do From violating any of the commandments Is the fear of Hashem Because love itself generally Will not can, can cause a person to do a lot of good things But when you have a temptation And you have a strong desire To do something If you only have love You say to yourself Eh God loves you very, very much And He's He's gonna, he's gonna oversee it. He's not gonna, not gonna make a big deal about it. But if you fear him, then you're going to respect his will and his wishes, and not do, and not do the sin. Bezret Hashem, it's uh, getting late. Bezret Hashem, in next week's class, we're going to discuss the idea of how fear is the main impetus and the main drive in the performance of the holding back of doing the negative things and the continuation of the, the, the idea of the. Torah and mitzvahs as being the garments of the soul. Everybody should have a wonderful week and um, a great job. Take care.